Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Are you, are you ready for the message? All right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, if you were here with us, I am continuing part two of this series of uh, That's My Church, A Church That Loves. We've been in this series for about six a total messages. going to finish next week. Uh, I'm finishing it up. Uh, but what I preached on two weeks ago, we'll do a little review, a little recap. But what I did share about 1 Corinthians 13 is that it's not the wedding chapter of the Bible. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love never keeps a record of wrongs. We hear it at weddings over and over again. But that is not why Paul wrote it. Paul wrote it to an immature church. Paul wrote it to a church that didn't understand that you can do a lot of great things, but it's not about performance. It's about loving God and loving people. So let's read the scripture and see what it says to us today. If I speak in tongues of men's and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the greatest resume this world has to offer, if I have the greatest career, if I have the greatest bank account, it means nothing if I do not love. Come on. Ooh, you're a smart church. Okay. Uh, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I think the Bay Area is just a perfect case study of this. We have everything. But why is it that so many people in our area feel like they have nothing? Because you can have the the money, the career, the prestige, but if you do not have the love of God and are not loving people the way that God calls you love, you have nothing. This is what it shows. It goes on to say love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and always perseveres. I have a friend, his wife painted those verses in their garage on the wall. And when they have a fight, she'll go out there and look at the one that maybe she wasn't operating in. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two. I would encourage you to get to know this verse very well. Paul finishes with this, uh, this chapter with this thought, love never fails. Everybody say, never fails. never fails. That's a bold statement. When I was a child, I talked like a child. He's talking to the church, said, you're immature. And the only way you're going to grow up is you actually learn how to love people and how to receive love. He goes, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, when I became a woman... I put away, oh, sorry, I put the ways of childhood behind me. I put the ways of childhood behind me. Can I ask you a question? Have you put the ways of childhood behind you? I was uh, at Cyborg with Rachel uh, last week. It was a Saturday. Yum, yum at Cyborg. Come on now. We've got a Cyborg fan in the house. And uh, Rachel um, was um, finishing some things up. And so I was just standing out there uh, by the car. And this little five-year-old girl was just crying like, ah, ah. I mean, just absolutely losing it, okay? And I get a front row seat, and because I'm not the parent, I just got my popcorn out, and I'm having a good time, you know? Now, the parents are like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, you know? Uh, but I'm just watching. And then the, the kid just stops crying. She just stops crying out of the blue. And so then I'm standing there, and she looks at her mom, and she goes, Mommy, why was I crying? And I thought it was such a cute thing. Like, she was crying so hard and so long, she forgot even why she was crying, and I told Rachel the story. We started laughing. And I was like, it was so adorable. She was so adorable. I started thinking to myself, 
That's adorable when you're five. But when you're 50, it's not adorable anymore. You know, when you, when you, when you blow up as a little kid, oh, isn't he just being cute? But when you blow up when you're 30, it's a little less adorable. And what Paul's saying is um, to the church of Corinth, but also to Mission Church, some of you, you're 40, but you're going on 14. Some of you are 30, but you're going on 13. Come on now. Some of you are 50, but you're going on 15. Because age is just a number. Everybody ages, but not everybody matures. And so Paul is saying, I need you to mature. And if I could just point to my own life, Rachel and I's worst moments and our hardest moments, I can point to one thing of why we get there, is we have not loved. Is we have fallen short in the first Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind. It's our first year of marriage. Uh, and we've been married for a year. I am 30 years old at this moment. Um, and I am 30 going on 13. I'm an immature husband. I'm an immature man. Uh, I think I am the cat's meow. I think I'm a great husband. I think I'm killing the game. And Rachel and I go to Tahoe for the very first time. We had just moved up here about seven months earlier. And we get this little townhouse in uh, North Tahoe. And uh, we go enjoy the first day. And um, I did something that upset Rachel. And basically, she shared a heart's desire with me. And she basically, like, she wanted to kayak. I wanted to golf. So I went and golfed. Yeah, they got quiet, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, rookie, rookie mistake in marriage. Rachel still went kayaking. I just went golfing and she went kayaking. Uh, wow, I was young, okay? I've never felt more judged at our church than in this moment. You can see the eyes that are on me right now. Mm. Poor girl. Got to put up with that guy. I was 30. I'm now 41. I would go kayaking today. I would buy her 10 kayaks. I would get her every lake and we'd kayak to lake to lake. I would throw my clubs in the lake for her. Okay, but at this moment, I was 30 going on 13. I was not mature in my love. My love was selfish. My love was self-seeking. And Rachel was sharing a need, and so at the end of the night, she basically shared how I had failed her. And I, being a young, unloving, immature person, I was like, I planned this trip. I booked this townhouse. I made dinner reservations. We're here because I'm the one who planned it. And you're complaining about one thing. Ooh, we got an ungrateful wife in the house. <laughs> Hence, one of the biggest fights we've ever had. I mean, it was one of those fights where you walk in the house and you're like, mm, you know, and, and we actually had friends who came with us. So it was really awkward. So yeah, yeah like at dinner, you're like, I'm like, just keep it together. You know, <laughs> how's your dinner? Great. Mine too. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, I, I can uh, uh, tell my buddy till the next day that we had been in a big fight and I'll never forget. It was the second night and Rachel and I had had about 36 hours of just turmoil. And I, I just don't do well with fighting. I am a peace-driven person. I love being loved, and I love to love. Would we agree with that? I'm a happy guy. And so fighting destroys me. So I go to Rachel 36 hours later, and I say, I think it's time for you to apologize. <laughs> Four years later, I finally said, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, no, no. So, so I go to her that second night. And... Uh, one of the more painful moments, I'd say, in our marriage for myself personally, because it's never enjoyable. The Bible says that the word of God is like a mirror. It's a mirror for us. That it will show us like our blemishes. Show us where we fall short. 
And nobody wants to see their blemishes. And God showed me my blemishes. He showed me where I was falling short. I remember coming to Rachel and apologizing and saying, I want to be a great husband one day. And I know I'm not a great husband yet. And I'm sorry. And I'm going to prioritize adventures. And my wife being gracious, received my apology. And we went kayaking a little later after that. And I hated kayaking. So much. Like, I don't fit in kayaks. We went to Meeks Bay. You remember Meeks Bay? And I tried it for her. And she looked how painful it was for me. And she's like, we can do different adventures than kayaking. And she's like, we, like, we learned how to dance. And just like, I want to love you. You want to love me. And, you know, I, I've, I've been to many poppy fields. I've been to many gardens now. I've seen many things I never thought I'd see. But, but if I could... If I could encourage you today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into the message today. It's not a fun thing to come to church and have somebody point your blemishes. Because the world already beats you down. I want to build you up today. I do. I want, I want to build you up today. I want the word of God to build you up today. The, the, word, the world just throws shame on you. This is not a shame message. This is not a beat you down message. But it is a message to maybe have your eyes opened a little bit to say, man, I'm not where I want to be. But I'm declaring today that I'm going to be everything God called me to be. I may not be the most loving person yet, but I'm going to become the most loving person I can be. I may not be the most selfless person yet, but I'm going to become the most selfless person I've ever been. I may not be a generous person yet, but I'm going to become a generous person. Will you bow your heads? We're going to pray. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you're the one that showed us the standard of love. God, you're the one that loved when we were unlovable. You're the one that forgave when we were unforgivable. You are the, the greatest standard, the greatest model. We thank you that you are love. And so, God, as we look at this uh, message today, uh, God, may we be a church that loves, not conditionally, not occasionally, but may it be who we are in this region. Oh, God, we love you. We need you. May my words fall to the floor, and may your your words soar. We love you. We love you. Everybody said? I want to read you one last verse from last week. It's going to tie in with the whole message. Uh, I believe it's something that if we can do this, we will change the Bay Area. We will change our lives. We will change our region. We will change the West Coast. Come on now. It says this, uh, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Uh, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives us sunlight to both evil and good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who you love, what reward is there for you that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. So if you only love Republicans because you're Republican... What is that? If you only love Democrats because you're a Democrat, what is that? If you only love the way people think, the way they think like you and act like you, what is that the Lord's saying? But if you love everyone, this is going to set you apart in this world. Loving is not approving. Love is not celebrating. Loving is loving. So if you love, you'll be different from anyone else. Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is to be perfect. I said this last week, but I need to say it again today. Um, It's hard to love the unlovable. It's hard to forgive the unforgivable. It is not natural. But thank God you are not a natural person. You are a supernatural person, powered by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, the enemy of revival, the enemy of your soul, the thing that is stealing from you more than anything else is typical Christianity. It is a spirit that has lulled you to sleep, thinking that if you live just a certain way, 
I'm gonna live one foot in and one foot out. Typical Christianity says this, I love God, but I got no time for God. I love people, but I don't forget people. I'm gonna be kind to people, but then you're the first one to judge. Typical Christianity is what has held back the church from taking back ground in the Bay Area. But supernatural Christianity, ooh, that's a whole different kind. Let me just tell you quick, one of my favorite things in the, in the oh, excuse me, stool, oh my gosh, I'm kidding. Who put that there? Okay, um, uh, uh, one of my favorite things in the Old Testament is uh, you'd see these prophets, and it says the hand of God would come upon their life. And the hand of God would come upon them, and they would do things they could never do in their own strength. Elijah, Elisha, Deborah, Gideon, Samson, I could go on and on. All of them, the hand of God would come upon them. Or a group of people, the hand of God would come upon them. And then they would conquer things they could never conquer. Overcome things they never could overcome. Become things they could never, ever become on their own. And as a young believer, I was like, I want the hand of God in my life. But you actually read the Bible. The New Testament, God doubles down on this. He doesn't give us the hand of God. We don't have the hand of God anymore. God decides to not give us his hand. He decides to live in us, to reside in us. That we would not take back ground, not by power, not by might, but by his spirit. So you are a supernatural person. I want to pastor people living supernatural lives. At Mission Church, we believe it. That the mountains still melt like wax before the Lord. That God makes the crooked ways straight. That he makes our low ways high, our highways low. That he takes things that are dead and brings them back to life. The Holy Spirit is not intimidated by the Bay Area. Holy Spirit's not intimidated by your mess. Your mess that you think like, oh, if he knew. He knows. It's not like the Holy Spirit's like, you did what? You're going through what? No, the Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Spirit is perfectly equipped to clean up the mess you made. To redeem the wreck you created. To make you become everything that your heart desired. You are not qualified. Ooh, but the Holy Spirit, the supernatural power of God, is equipped and empowered to transform your life. I don't know when somebody got lost in the room, but I'm here to wake you up today. You are called by God to live a supernatural life, to love in a way that is not of this world, to be redeemed in a way that the world cannot redeem, and for the world to ask questions, how did this happen? And you want to know how I live this supernatural life? You want to know how I live this inheritance? Because I read my Bible, and it shows that there is an open heaven that I live under. Not a closed heaven, but an open heaven. People who are shallow in the word are usually shallow in worship. People who are shallow in the word are usually shallow in the way they dream for their life. We're not going to be shallow in the word here. We're going to assert the scriptures. We're going to believe what God says. I'm just not a big fan of basing my theology on what I haven't seen yet. And so many people base their theology in the Bay Area on just what they haven't seen yet. Well, you know, there's no revival, so I mean, revival can't happen here because I haven't seen it yet here. Well, you know, I, I haven't seen uh, myself get healed yet, so I don't really believe in healing yet. I don't believe in this yet because I haven't seen it yet. I don't base my theology on what I haven't seen yet. I base my theology on what he says is yes and amen, that what he did yesterday, he can still do today, that the greater things are ahead of us, not behind us. So that's kind of God I believe in. Okay, so are you, are you, are you ready for the second part of this message? I, I wanted to stir your spirit up a little bit because I really believe that we look at some of the hardest things in the world. We go, what would be one of the hardest things to do? I'm telling you, one of the hardest things to do ever is for you to actually become a person of loving. It's one, you're, you're birthed into selfishness. You're birthed into thinking about yourself all the time. You're birthed into just trying to hide shame instead of destroy shame. 
And if you could receive this message today, the beauty of the gospel we're going to see today in Dave Mephibosheth. Um, let's call him M. That's a really big name. We'll call him Mephibosheth. I'll say Mephibosheth. Um, it's the beauty of a man who could have never done for himself what somebody else did for him. And because of it, his life was changed forever. His identity was changed forever. His birthright was changed forever. And really, it's just the picture of the gospel today. And the gospel is a loving God, loving and unlovable people, and redeeming them and making them a loving people. So before I go to Mephibosheth, I feel like I got to give a review a little bit of um, last week because I feel like it won't make a lot of sense if you missed uh, part one. So you're going to get a little double dip of just the, the intro of David's life because it makes a lot of sense in this. So, so bear with me. So David, if you weren't here last week, I read it in Second uh, uh, Samuel 8, all of his victories. Uh, you know, he captured 1,000 chariots, 7,000 charioteers. He killed 22,000 uh, of people in Damascus. And then another war he won. He won so many different wars. He was uh, victorious wherever he won, it says. And then verse 15, it says, So David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for all his people. Now, if you know anything about David's run, he got this promise at 16. I love what it says in Psalms that he took David from the sheep pen to the palace. And some of you guys are taking you out of the sheep pen today and he's putting you in the palace. I love Mike T's words. Some of you have been living in the sheep pen, but now you get to say, is this palace for me? It is for you. And so, so David, for 30 years, had this promise that he was going to live a life that God was going to give to him. But in the midst of that 30 years, there's a lot of things that happened. He started serving a man named Saul, married Saul's daughter, best friends with his son. Now, in the course of 10 years, Saul tries to kill David 11 times. His father-in-law tried to kill him 11 times. And like I said last week, if you think your in-laws are difficult, you haven't met David's, okay? Now, David, when Saul needed, somebody, uh, uh, when Saul needed a, a, a battle to be fought, David volunteered. When Saul needed music to be played, David ob- obliged and would play the harp for him. When, when Saul needed a giant to be destroyed, David would do it. When, when David could kill Saul, David said he would not kill Saul. He had the opportunity. Why would David do this? Because the honor in David was greater than the dishonor thrown at him. And if you will honor what others won't, you will receive what others can't. And if you will love what others won't, you will receive what others can't. And you will accomplish what others can't. David is an amazing man. And guess what? Saul dies in a battle. And now, David is king of Israel. And the nation is entering rest. The ark has been returned the, the nation has never seen prosperity like this. David has been anointed and coronated as king. It is the best time. Business is booming. The stock market has never been higher. Peace has never been greater. The school system more strong. Food everywhere. This is Israel. David could put this 30-year Jerry Springer episode behind him. He doesn't have to think about Saul ever again. The, his daughter, uh, the, the, the wife he married, Michelle, uh, Michelle, Michelle whatever you want to call her, uh, she was, you know, a, a super judgmental. He could completely just say, I'm now going to live the life I'm supposed to live. But instead of putting this Jerry Springer thing behind him, there was one little problem. And the problem is covenant. David loved Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. And they made a covenant. And David said this to Jonathan, that if anything ever happens to you, I will love your family like they're my own family. I will, I, I, will, I will protect them. I will love them no matter what. Even if they become my enemy, I will still love them. And I will still bless them. And now here we are in 2 Samuel 9. David does not move on because of the problem of covenant. And I'm telling you, the problem of covenant is the greatest thing that you could ever encounter in your own life. 2 Samuel 9 says this. David asks, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul? The man who 
again, tried to kill him 11 plus times, that betrayed him. All he did was serve and love. Man, this says way more about David than it does about Saul. And I'm telling you, the way you love people will say way more about you than it does about the Bay Area. I don't know where we got, uh, got lost where we think we love people. We think we're endorsing a region. David's not re- endorsing Saul. He's just living who he is. He's a loving, honorable person. So it goes on to say, David asks, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? You'll see this three times. David is searching to show God's kindness. First thing I want to show you today in this text is simply this. The beauty of the gospel is Jesus tracking you down to show you God's kindness. It's the first thing we see in this text. You ever wonder why uh, in the New Testament they call uh, Jesus the son of David? There's two things. Of course, the promise that he would come from, from David. But the big one that theologians say is the reason why he's called the son of David is there's nobody else in the Old Testament that acts more and actually acts Christ-like than David. David actually has Christ-like moments so much in the, in the, in the Old Testament that theologians say this is exactly how Jesus would have handled it. May, may that be said of you. This is exactly how Jesus would have handled it in the Bay Area. Because in this moment, in 2 Samuel 9, it's as if Jesus is sitting on the throne. Is there anyone that I can show kindness to? And some of you, I just, I don't know what it is about being afraid of going to the throne room and sitting in front of your Savior. Some of you are afraid of actually sitting in front of God thinking he's going to condemn you. He's not going to condemn you. He's going to restore you. Salvation is not something you earn. Salvation is something that has been trying to track you down your whole life. It's, you think you're at church on accident today? You think you found Jesus 10 years ago on your own? You think you found Jesus? He was not lost. You were. You was lost. You, you, you think he needed to be found? No, he's the one that was tracking you down. Invite after invite, nudge after nudge. He's the one who's searching you out. And when you get saved, guess what? You did nothing to get saved. Do not be impressed with yourself. One of my favorite stories, I, it's an old pastor who shared it. It's about the man who uh, gets saved on the cross. It's one of the most beautiful stories ever about the salvation. If you don't know the story of the crucifixion, Jesus is being crucified. And one of the thieves on the cross literally uh, says, you know, can I go with you? And Jesus simply says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I love it how this uh, pastor uh, from uh, back in the day shared it. He said, can you imagine the thief showing up to heaven that day? Just, you know, like, boom. On the, he's, you know, he's a sinner lost. Jesus literally went to the cross to find him. And then Jesus saved him, and he shows up in heaven. And can you imagine the angel at the gate saying, uh, name, please? Uh, thief at the cross. Okay. Uh, what denomination were you a part of? I never done what, what service you go to? I, 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 you know, uh, do you understand the, the doctrine of justification by faith? What? You know, like, and then you're like, okay, hold on a second. I'll be right. He goes, gets, the angel goes, gets his head supervisor and brings him over. He's like, okay, hold on a second. Have you been water baptized? Nope. Okay. Uh, have you ever read a scripture in the Bible? Nope. Why are you here? Because the man on the cross said I could come. And I'm telling you, salvation will make you safe from hell. It will save you from the pit of despair that you cannot save yourself from. Now, I'm telling you that that is one of the greatest things you'll ever hear. And I love what Spurgeon says about salvation. That's why you do. Saved from sin, that makes us safe. But saved to holiness, that makes us happy. So, 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 so Jesus is going to save you. He's going to track you down. But until you're saved to holiness, you'll never have fulfillment. You'll never have the things your heart desires. 
So he's tracking you down. So, so, so the, the first part we see is, is that in, in the beauty of this story is we see a love that is not of this world. David is seeking out a person that is connected to the one that wanted to destroy his promise, cancel him, betray him, and destroy him. And that's what we all were to Jesus, if you didn't know that. We were all the ones that put him on the cross. We were all the ones that, that, that betrayed him. We were all the ones that, that failed him. And this is why the gospel is so beautiful. Is God uses us in spite of us. God redeems us when we are trying to break things while he's redeeming. I just love how good our God is. Can I get an amen for that? Okay, let's keep reading. So then after uh, he says there's a man with broken legs, uh, his name's uh, Mephibosheth. Let me get back to where it is. Uh, there's one still alive in Saul's house. Uh, his name's Jonathan. He's both lame. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Where is he? Now, I, I could fast forward past this, but I think we got to kind of hang out in this spot real quick. There is still a man named uh, Jonathan, and he is lame in both feet. Why is Jonathan lame in both feet? Why is he lame? Why is he lame? Why is he lame? I'll show you real quick why he's lame. Second Samuel 4. Uh, if you uh, had time, I, I'd encourage you to go read Second Samuel this week. It's a beautiful story of, of David um, becoming king. But Saul and Jonathan are, are killed, not by David, but by the Philistines in battle. In 2 Samuel 4, uh, Mephibosheth is five years old. He's Jonathan's son. He's Saul's grandson. And Mephibosheth is being cared for by a woman, and she finds out that Jonathan has died. She's now afraid for Mephibosheth's life, and as she is running away, she drops Mephibosheth. And it says that she dropped him, and when she dropped him, it crippled him, and he could no longer walk, and both his legs were crippled for the rest of his life. A young man was injured because a father was absent. A young man was injured because the one that was supposed to care for him actually broke him. And can I just tell you that the beauty of 2 Samuel 9, what it shows us, and the beauty of the gospel, is that all of us need to be saved because all of us have been broken. All of us have been broken. Can I just tell you real quick, the beauty in this picture that it shows us is, I was going to read, I had so many scriptures this week. When I don't preach for two weeks, it gets dangerous. Because then I study and there's like a 45 minute message and it becomes a two hour message. And I'm like, I got to take that out. I had Revelation three in this message. I had Song of Psalm two in it. I had Matthew. I had so many uh, scriptures in it. So I'm gonna try to condense this for you. Um, we live in a dark world. We live in a world where we, we go into a family environment and the ones that are supposed to care for you hurt you. You go into a work environment and the ones that you're supposed to work with, they betray you. And so we've all been broken by something. And I, I literally wrote this down, and, I, and, I, and this, is, this is going to touch some hard chords today, but I'm not trying to touch some hard chords to make you sad today. I'm trying to touch some hard chords to let you know that God wants to actually redeem these hard chords today. To the one that is broken because your dad hurt you or your dad betrayed you, God is here to redeem you. To the one where your pastor failed you, God is here to redeem it. To the one where your spouse left you or your spouse betrayed you. The ones who were entrusted to care for you were the ones that dropped you. This is not a fun comment right now. This is not an enjoyable part of the sermon. But the reality is that we've been hurt by a dad or betrayed by a mom or betrayed by a spouse or hurt by a coworker or failed by a pastor. All of us have been dropped by somebody. And because of it, we all have an injury and a wound because of it. And Mephibosheth, an innocent bystander was dropped and broken. And he is now being searched out by a Christ-like figure named David saying, I want to fix what the world has broken. 
And I'm telling you, God is searching you out to fix what somebody else has broken. Now, pain is unavoidable. Healing is optional. And that's what this third part is for you. If you want to be healed, you have to ask yourself this question. Do you want to inherit your new identity? Do you want to inherit your new identity? And let me read you what that means. It goes on to say, he is the house of the Makur and the uh, son of Emil and Labor. And why can't things just say, like, yo, he's from Concord. His name's Jack. You know, he's from Walnut Creek. But it says, like, Makur, Emil, Ladabor. Like, what is that? You know what I'm saying? So anyways, so King David had him brought from Ladabor, from the house of Makur, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, you replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for your sake. For Jonathan, I will store all of the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, here's where honor. If you will honor what others won't, you'll receive what others can't. Mephibosheth comes to honor, he bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Let me just show you something real quick. The third part that will make you a loving person is you have to receive love first. Now, let's look at this, 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 this little part right here. He's fearful. David sees him and he goes, don't be afraid. Why does David say, don't be afraid? Let me read it to you. So in verse 7, he says, this is him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. The reason why he says do not fear is because if you knew the Old Testament custom and law that uh, there is a third to four generational um, penalty or curse on a family, that you could be put to death because of what your father did. And because of what Saul did, David was in his right to kill Mephibosheth on the spot. Not only in his right, it would have been actually the customary political um, thing to do. You do not have an heir to the throne stay alive. It could divide the kingdom. So, so Mephibosheth is coming in going, I, I, know, I know the penalty. My, 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 my grandfather tried to kill him. I'm dying today. David has called to clear the books. David has called me in to destroy me and kill me. Not only am I um, deserving death because of my grandfather, he should kill me politically because somebody could try to raise me up and say that I'm the rightful king and divide this kingdom. It would just be the practical decision. It would be a typical decision to kill the one that could be a threat to you. And so he brings me and says, do not fear. Because right now, all Mephibosheth has in his life is hopelessness, fear, and a terrible identity. Because of what his father did, not because of what he did. His grandfather. So he says, do not fear. I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land. Did you just hear Jesus' words in that? Some of you, when you come to Jesus, I think one of the first things you say is, do not fear. Do not fear. I will surely show you kindness. Do you, do you see the gospel in this? And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. We have a God that uh, balances our books. I uh, want to encourage you. This man had this inheritance from his earthly father, but his earthly father did not pass on the inheritance. And thank you, Jesus, that we have a spiritual father, that when our earthly fathers fall short, that he is the one that balances the books that he's the one that heals generational pain, and he's the one that breaks generational curses. He's the God that comes into our life 
and says, your father may have missed it here. Your father may have abandoned you here. Your parents should have, should have done this. But I'm your heavenly father, and I'm not here to show you um, wrath. I'm not here to destroy you. I'm actually here to restore to you what should have been yours in the first place. All that joy you lost because your father, father betrayed you, well, here's some joy. All that peace and purpose you never had because your parents betrayed you, well, here's some peace and purpose now. I'm here not to hurt you. I'm here to restore you. The only way that happens is if you're ready to inherit your new identity and your new birthright. Some of you, are you ready to inherit your birthright? Are you, you know what forgiveness is? I, I had a new definition as I was studying this. Forgiveness is simply saying this. Forgiveness is saying the pain of my past, the pain of the, what people did to me, it will no longer be the producer and editor and writer of my story. I forgive what happened, but now I'm living a new story. That's not even, that's an old book. I don't even live in that book anymore. That, that book, sure, it happened. But I forgive what happened, and now I'm saying something this. That does not have its grip on me anymore. I will not repeat the cycle of my father. I will not repeat the cycle of what happened. I must be different. I must give different. And I must give what I never got. Yeah. Fourth thing you'll see in this story that just shows you a person who becomes the identity of love and the birthright of love is they get reestablished. They get reestablished. I want to read you verse 9. So he tells them, I'm going to restore to you, but he gets specific. Some of you need to get specific. You know exactly what was stolen from you. You know exactly what your heart desires. You know exactly what's supposed to be in your life. You know exactly, I'm, I'm missing purpose right now. I'm missing relationship right now. I have no provision. Whatever it is, you better get specific because it gets really specific in verse nine. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul. Everybody say everything. Our birthright is not half measure. Our birthright is not a little bit. Our birthright is everything, abundance. He goes, everything that belonged to Saul and his family, you and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your, your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I'm your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish. David gave him the blessing that should have come from his natural father. I wish, I'll be honest, I wish I would have grown up in a Christian family. I wish my parents would have dragged me to church. I don't want to go to church today. I wish they'd been like, get in the car, you're going to church. <laughs> Throw me in kids' ministry. Have me sit there and eat my little goldfish crackers. I wish, I, I never experienced kids' ministry. I never got to go to youth camp. I didn't even, I didn't even find a youth ministry until I was a senior in high school. It's the first time I ever went to a youth ministry. My parents didn't take me. Me and my buddy, we drove there and went on our own. But I wish I would have grown up in a Christian family. I wish I would have grown up in a family that just, you sat at the table and you'd have your parents sit there and just say, how was your day, son? Speak life in you and you'd share your, your, your worst part of your day. I wish. But here's the deal. Some of you, maybe you didn't come from healthy homes, but you've now been reestablished. A healthy home can come from you. Maybe you came from abuse, but now protection can come from you. Maybe you came from poverty, but now richness can come from you. Maybe you came from a family of depression and critique and performance-driven, but now joy and unconditional love can come from you. Because when your house gets reestablished, all the cycles that were a part of your life, they break. And maybe you didn't get dragged to church, but now you can drag your family church with you. 
and you can say, you're gonna see the beauty of God one day. You're gonna be able to sit there and have him hear the same words. Do not be afraid. I will show you kindness and I will restore to you everything that you've lost. Last thing that we'll see here. It's a very interesting verse on how this whole story ends. The whole chapter ends with this. Such, such, I, I, like I had to really like, it's one of those ones, yeah, like, yeah, chew on and process and really understand what God, what are you trying to show here? Mephibosheth had a young uh, son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. Here's how it ends, verse 13. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. Can I tell you real quick? There are some things that can only be healed. There are things that can only be done at the king's table. Only at the king's table. Nowhere else at the king's table. There are things that can only happen in the presence of God. Nowhere else. They cannot happen in your strength. They cannot happen around uh, people. They cannot happen because you achieve something. They can only happen at the king's table. It goes on to say, uh, because he always ate at the king's table. And then just finishes with the one, last line. He was lame in both feet. Period. Story over. Now I'm finished. I'm like, can we leave the last part out? Can it just read Holy Spirit? Can you just leave that last part out? Just say, yeah, because he always ate at the king's table. Period. But it's showing that it says he always ate at the king's table. He was laying both feet. And I started chewing on like, why, why would that be the way this story ends? Why why wouldn't it just say he ate at the king's table and he had a great life? I want to show you something. Let's write down a couple thoughts. And my last little point is shame has now been destroyed and God has been glorified. If you know, if you know the name of Phibosheth, it literally means shame destroyer. That's what the name means, shame destroyer. Woo! I'm naming my first kid Mephibosheth. Well, my dad thought it was cool, you know. Shame destroyer. And I wrote down this little thought. Our brokenness is no longer identity, but it is our testimony. And you just got to think of, you know, people who are new to the table, they've come to the table after this story, because Mephibosheth ate at the table for the rest of the, the days, years. And, you know, at the king's table, I mean, this is, the, this is the spot of all spots. The VIP, the elite, how did you get here? How did you get the invitation? How did you um, end up being a part of this? And so you see all these people, generals, princes, and princesses, and then you see Mephibosheth being escorted in, carried in and sat down and he was lame in both his feet and people would ask him how'd you get here and he wouldn't make this his identity but it was a part of his testimony and he would share his story and he'd simply say but there was one thing covenant my dad loved that man and that man loved my dad and because they loved each other I have the same love, and now I get to sit at this table. And can I just tell you real quick, your injury is not your identity, but it's part of your testimony. And some of you, you need to know this, that injury, you thought it was gonna take you out. That, that, that wound, that thing that happened to you when you got dropped, you thought it was gonna destroy you. But there was one problem, covenant. Because of, the, because of the Father's love, He searched you out and said, no longer will what was broken in your life be your identity, but it's going to be a part of your story. So if you're in the house today, 
We're about to do a salvation call. And you may be saying, man, I thought my life was this, but today you saw a new beginning, that God came to show you kindness, to restore what was broken, and to, to take fear from your birthright, and to give you joy and peace and a whole new way to dream. Will you bow your heads? We're going to ask people that want to get saved today. I'm not sure it's your first or second time in church. If you never said yes to heaven, no to hell. But if you want to say yes to Jesus today, you want to say yes to salvation. The reason why you get to say yes to salvation is because of this thing called covenant. We have a covenant with God, with a covenant love, that no matter what, he's going to love, and he's going to love some more, he's going to forgive, and forgive some more. So if you want to say yes to Jesus today, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing, if that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, on the count of three, raise your hand and catch my eye. You saw the beauty of God today. You want to be restored. You want to see that kindness. You want to be reestablished. If that's you on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. I see you. I see you. I see you. And I see you. And I see you. Come on now. Anybody else? Raise your hand. I see you. That's a great decision. I see you. I see you in the back. Come on now. Everybody, I see hands all over the place this morning. Come on. We can clap for that church. Come on now. That's a great thing. That's a great thing. That's a great thing. You can go ahead and stand up. I was going to have people raise their hand. Do you want to say yes to being a supernatural Christian, living by the power of the Holy Spirit? But I was like, I'm not going to have people raise their hand. I'm just going to pray for all of you to do that. This ain't like a select group. This is our church. The Bay Area needs a church that loves the unlovable, that doesn't live natural and typical. So God, would you bless Mission Church? Would you use us? Would you pour out your presence? God, we live under an open heaven. So today, with that realization, we're going to pray different. We're going to love different. We're going to live different. God, we thank you that you showed your love in your son on the cross and an empty grave. We love you. We love you. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.